welcome to the Riverside Church Podcast. Riverside Church is a community of believers striving side-by-side for the gospel in the greater New Orleans area. For more information about Riverside Church, go to riversidelife.org. We're continuing continuing our series, uh, Better Together. Uh, last week, uh, and in that series, we're looking at all of the, the one another passages in the Bible where the Lord tells us to love one another, to bear one another's burden, to care for one another, and things like that. All of those commandments that we hear and all of those things we hear from the Apostle Paul and Jesus um, all throughout the New Testament, they all come from this command that Jesus gives us that we saw last week um, in, uh, in John chapter 13, uh, where Jesus, uh, the night that he was betrayed after he washes his disciples' feet, he says, this is the new commandment I give to you to love one another. And by this, the world will know, the watching world will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. And so because of all of these other one another's that proceed from this command, uh, we want to give a, a, another sermon to, to love one another. And this comes from the Apostle John as well, from uh, 1 John chapter 3. And so we want to consider that again this morning. And in all of this, our desire, uh, my desire for us as a congregation, my desire for Riverside is that we would realize that we are better together. And I don't know about you, but I, but I saw on Sunday nights, and perhaps you saw this on Sunday night, that, that we are better together than when we put all of our resources together, when we, when we show up together and serve together, we are better together. You see some of these statistics uh, that uh, we're able to gather from Sunday night um, just to help us understand what our community is like. From the 550 to 600 people that showed up uh, on our campus, um, 47 people or 47 households thereabouts said that they heard uh, about Harvest Fest uh, from church members. Uh, And so this tells us something. Statistics bear that out, uh, that people are more likely to show up to church and um, to come into a saving relationship with Jesus Christ if you will personally invite them um, to church. And we are better together. You know people that I don't know. I know people that you don't know. If we invite people, uh, perhaps they will come and hear the gospel of Jesus Christ and and know what we're looking at, what love is is truly um, like. And so we see that 62 adults stated that, uh, or 62 households thereabouts, a little over half of the folks that attended in our community didn't have a church that they were attending uh, currently. Um, and so we want to be a place where people know the love of Christ, where they can be pointed to Christ and, and loved and um, they can be loved together and have their burdens bared uh, with one another, be cared for. And so we want to realize that we are better together and that our arms are open uh, to the community, that we are living lives of love so that the world might know that we are his disciples and know the love of Christ. And so out of all of those folks that attended Sunday night, I, I was thinking through that, and I was reminded of a quote. I used to listen to that almost religiously, uh, the food show on WWL radio hosted by Tom Fitzmorris. Did you ever listen to that, the food show with Tom Fitzmorris, some of you WWL folks? I love listening to that just about every afternoon when I was on my way home for work or whatever I was doing. And he always had this quote that I've seen prove true, and I was thinking about this because we had about five or 600 folks at Harvest Fest. Uh, he he used to always say that there are about 500 people in New Orleans. And, and what he was saying was when you know somebody in New, New Orleans, 
you, you quickly realize that you know them or you are connected to them in some sort of way. Um, you've maybe have experienced that before. You go to a restaurant, you meet somebody, um, and then you realize perhaps you went to the same high school and you knew the same people. And, and all of a sudden, New Orleans is a, a big city that feels small. And that's what he was trying to get across by that, that there's about 500 people living in New Orleans. And sometimes our city feels like that. But what I want to submit to you this morning from our text is that all of the people in our city, all of the people who attended Harvest Fest, the five or 600 people that we saw on our campus, all of the people in our city that uh, even though it feels like a small city, there's only 500 people, of all the folks living here, and even, even more than that, Of all the people on planet Earth, we all really come from two families. That's what the Bible bears out of of all the people. It's it's even smaller than that. It's it's not just there's 500 people in the Orleans. There are a few families that kind of make up the city. Out of all the people on planet Earth, the Bible tells us that we all come from two families. That's the distinction that John is making in 1 John chapter 3. It's a distinction that is not only made in 1 John chapter 3, it's a distinction that is made from Genesis 3, the beginning of the Bible, on. As you know, God created man in his own image and sin entered the world as Adam and Eve decided to make themselves God and to go their own way and not trust God. And sin entered the world and with sin entered the world, death entered the world and the wages of sin is death. And in the garden, God made a promise, the first gospel, as they say in Genesis chapter 3, verse 15, that God will put enmity between the seed of the woman and the seed of the serpent. And so early on in Scripture, God begins to make these two distinctions. Either you are of the seed of the serpent or of the seed of the woman. Let me just fast forward a little bit to put that together. The Bible tells us in Galatians 3.16 that that seed of the woman was Christ. So either you're the, a seed of the serpent or you are an offspring of Christ. Either you are a, a child of the evil one or you are part of the family of God. So that distinction is made early on in Scripture. And that's what John is bearing out in 1 John chapter 3. If you read above verse 11 where we started, uh, he says things like those who are of the children of the devil are those who do not practice righteousness and they're not of God. And so understand the context of the passage is what he's laying out. He's asking us, are you a child of God or you are of the seed of the serpent? Because really there's only those two families that you can belong to. And so that's what he's bearing out. And so, so that's the context of him asking the question. Go ahead and look at 1 John chapter 3.11. He says this, For this is the message that you have heard from the beginning, that we should love one another. There it is again. This is what Christ has told us, the message from the beginning. This is John chapter 13. He reiterates it again. We are to love one another. Who are we? Those who are born of Christ. Those who are born of the Spirit. Those who have put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And here's what he says. Look at verse 12, as he kind of bears these, this two-family thing out. He said, we should not be like Cain, who was of the evil one. Cain was of the seed of the serpent, and he murdered his brother. And he says, why did he murder him? Because his own deeds were evil, and his brothers are righteous, and his brothers were righteous. So don't be surprised, he says in verse 13, brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. We have known that we've passed from death into life 
the family of death into the family of life because we love the brothers. Who does not ab- whoever does not love abides in death. And so understand the context that, that, that he's saying, like, like brothers and sisters realize if you don't love one another, perhaps that is a sign that you are not of the family of God. He wants us to see this. And so here's my first point that I want to get across to you this morning. This love that we talk about, this commandment to love one another, this love is our family. This is this is the mark of our family is what John is telling us in 1 John chapter 3. This is a mark that you are of the offspring of Christ if you love one another. This love is our family. Notice what he says here. Why did Cain murder? Because his deeds were evil and Abel's were righteous and, and Cain hated righteousness. He hated the faith of his brother. And Jesus says if you hate in your hearts. You're guilty of murder. So he's saying, don't be a murderer like Cain. And don't show signs that you are of, don't show signs that you are of the, of the devil by the way that you hate one another. That is the sign that you are a murderer. And if you are a murderer, you are not of the family of God. So he's saying this love, this love is our family. He says in 1 John chapter 3, 13, do you see it there? Don't be surprised if the world hates you. That's what the world does. The world, don't be surprised by that. Don't don't be surprised when the world hates you and wonder like, like, why do they hate our, our righteousness? Don't be surprised like that because that's who they're of. Now that doesn't mean they're not hopeless because you were once a child of darkness and now you are light. The only reason you're walking in light is because of what God has done for you in Jesus Christ. So it's not saying that if you are a child of the evil one or a son of the serpent in the sea of the serpent, there is not hope for you. There's hope for you. But he says, don't be surprised if the world hates you. The world will hate you. Expect that. But what we should not expect is our family of faith to hate us. But they are to love us in truth or grace. This love is our family. This love, this, I mean, this church, this place should be a shelter for the weary. A place that the hated and rejected can be loved. This, this, this place should be a light in a dark world. That's what love is like. Because I guarantee you that the desire of every human heart, forget the two families, but the desire of every human heart is to be known and loved. And here's what I mean by that. It is quite overwhelming if someone knows you but doesn't love you. Have you ever experienced that before? Someone knows your filth. Someone knows your dirt. I'm not going to love that person. That's rejection. That's painful. But, but, but even more so, it feels superficial, doesn't it, if someone doesn't know you and they love you. But because you think, man, if they were to know me, certainly they would not love me. And a love like that, if you're superficial, but the love of Christ is better still, isn't it? Because he knows you to the depths and he loves you to the heights. Not because of who you are, but because of what Christ has done. He loves you in the beloved. And I guarantee every person on planet earth would love to know what that love is like. To be known completely 
and loved as Christ loved us. But notice some of the things about Cain. We want to mark this, this love is our family. So I want to give a few warnings here before we move on to our next point. How does some of this maybe play out practically? Be careful with family comparison. How many of you grew up with brothers and sisters and someone always said, well, you're not like your sister, whoever. Or I wish you were more like, I remember this guy in high school, I won't say his name, but he had a brother who was ahead of him that was a valedictorian and was like all state at certain sports and things like that. And he just got tired of people hearing them say, Man, you're not like your older brother. Do you know sometimes that can really tear families apart when we start with comparison? And a little bit, wasn't that what Cain was doing? At the heart of this is that Abel offered his sacrifice in faith, and Cain did not. But he compared himself to his brother and he began to hate the righteous deeds of his brother. And so he hated his brother as he compared himself to his brother. And he ended up murdering his brother because the hate in his heart produced this action. And so let's be careful with comparing ourselves to one another. I wish you were more like that. What I also want to encourage us with is, as John brings up Cain to us, be mindful of the legacy that you're leaving. Yeah, we, we can think about that as, our, as a family. I spent a few days this week. Uh, we took pictures outside of my grandmother's uh, old family home that was built, I think, in the 1840s, I believe it was. And the log cabin is still standing there in Wayne County, Mississippi. And we went to take pictures in front of that uh, just as, as a t- to memorialize that and to remember her as she's passed away this, uh, th- this past summer. But as you're standing there, you think about the legacy of faith that this small family living in the middle of, it's still in the middle of nowhere. You have to drive 30 minutes even to see other people. But they trusted Christ and passed down the legacy of faith from one generation to the next. And that's the legacy that they left. And so we want to ask, what kind of legacy did Cain leave? If you keep reading in Genesis chapter 4 and 5, it's not a good legacy. He remained a seed of the serpent. Cain was jealous. He said, I'm not responsible for my brother. God says, you will be a wanderer for the rest of your life. I will protect you, but you will be a wanderer for the rest of his life. And in rebellion, Cain builds a city. I'm not going to be a wanderer. As the Lord says, I will build a city. He makes a name for himself. He tries to, at least, the Bible says. And so he tries to elevate himself and make a name for himself. And from his line, his legacy are murderers and even proud murderers. You read of Lamech in Genesis chapter 4 and Genesis chapter 5. And so don't think that what you do in this generation won't matter to future generations. Don't don't think that you showing up here and now does not matter. Part of your job and your family in this church family is to set up the next generation so they aren't having to overcome your mess. And what is the legacy we're leaving? Are we leaving a legacy of love? That is a place that loves one another. Not a place of self-preservation of how can we stay alive, but a place of self-sacrifice. This is our instinct. How do we sacrifice ourselves for the sake of the gospel, for the sake of the community, for the sake of the gospel? This kind of love is our family. 
Because this is the kind of love that forms our family. So point number one, this love is our family. Point number two, this love is our communion. This love is what binds us together. This love is what holds us together. This love is what forms us. This is what the Bible says. This is what Peter says in 1 Peter chapter 1, that you have been bought with the precious blood of Christ. The only reason any and everybody are here this morning as people of God, as children of God, or part of the offspring of God, is that you have been bought with the precious blood of Jesus Christ. You have been loved by the Father period. That's what brings you to the family of God. That's it. This is our communion with God, and this is our communion with one another. Look at 1 John 3, 24. He says, whoever keeps his commandment abides in God. This is where our communion is, in God, in him. And by this we know that he abides in us, by the Spirit whom he has given us. This is the love that binds us together. This is the love that is our communion, that what ties us up all together. I've learned something in the past several weeks, uh, years, I should say, that blood is thicker than water. Have you heard that term before? That blood is thicker than water. I said that a few weeks ago as I was sitting at a football game. Don't tell anybody this. Um, but I put on a, a John Curtis baseball cap. I don't know if you understand how big that is. Like, I don't know if you understand how big with that because I'm a rumble grad, right? Those two things don't go together, right? I was part of one family, and now my family, my wife and my three kids are all tied up in John Curtis. And so guess what I'm all tied up now in is John Curtis. And I like it. I'm going to go ahead and say that. I like it. I enjoy being part of that family. Blood is thicker than water. That's where my communion is. That's what I'm all wrapped up in because that's who my family is now, you understand. And so it happens with the people of God. You were once children of darkness and you once loved the things of the world. I'm not saying that Rummel is of the world and is a terrible place, understand. I'm not saying that. Some of you might think otherwise, but that's not what I'm saying. I'm saying is once we become part of a family, we become all in and realize what's holding us together is the love of Christ. That we are individually members of one another. We're not just individuals who show up at church as consumers or as audience members, but we're a family bound together by love. And we love one another with brotherly affection. We outdo one another in showing honor. We build up one another. We instruct one another. We care for one another. We serve one another through love. We bear one another's burdens. We're kind to one another. We count others as more significant than ourselves. We don't lie to one another, but encourage one another. All these come from Scripture. And we always seek to do good to one another. Because we're all wrapped up in Christ, and this is what Christ has done for us. And so this family is our, this love is our family, and this love is our communion as our family. But don't forget, we've said this a couple weeks ago, or, or last week, but don't forget point number three. So this love is our family, this love is our communion, but don't forget that this love is our command. That's what John is saying again, that Christ's command, this is not optional, 
that Christ has commanded this. And let's get a little bit of our understanding of what this means. Look at verse 23. The source of love matters. In 1 John 3, 23. And this is his commandment. Are you following with me here? That we believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and love one another just as he commanded us to do. So I want you to see this, that this love is not open for definition by the world or by us. This love is a particular love that proceeds from the Father and that is seen in Jesus Christ. Romans 8 tells us that we know what love is because we have seen Christ. We've beheld Christ and he has given himself. How can the one who loves us and gave himself for us not give us everything that we need? So this is a particular love. The source of this love matters. This is the love of Jesus. That's the wellspring of our love for one another because you notice how John clarifies this in verse 3:23 that this is the command that we must obey is belief. For by believing, you become part of the family of God, the offspring of Christ. We must believe. You cannot love as you ought if you do not believe as you ought. Do you understand this? No other name by which we can be saved is the name of Jesus Christ. We are dependent upon Jesus for salvation, and we are dependent upon Jesus for love. We're not just to agree that he did what he did, but agree that your life depends upon Christ. Believe in him. This is the command. And so uh, let me say this. Maybe this is where you need to stop today. Maybe you've never banked your life on Jesus Christ. And say, unless I have Christ, I have nothing. Maybe you've never trusted that, admitted that you were a sinner and believed that Jesus Christ came and lived the perfect life that you could not live and died the death that you deserve and rose victoriously over the grave for your justification. And you have said, I am trusting in Jesus for my salvation because I know I'm a sinner and the only way I can be saved is through Jesus Christ. That's where you start. That's where you become a member of the family of God. So you believe on the Lord Jesus Christ. Believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. And if you are saved, then you will love one another. This is our command to believe and to love. There's a couple other things that we see. Not only is this love our family and this love is our communion, our, our bond as our family, and, and this love is our command, but this love is our confidence. Perhaps this is one of my favorite parts of this passage. Look at John, 1 John chapter 3, verse 19 through 21. Follow along with me here. He says, By this we shall know that we are of the truth, so those who have believed in Christ have trusted in Christ, not of the evil one, but of the truth of that family, and reassure our heart before him. Look at this in verse 20. I really wrestled with this this week. He says, for whenever our heart condemns us, wait a minute. Whenever our why should my heart be condemned if I'm in Christ? But, but I think John is is understanding his audience and even understanding us today, there are times when we realize that we do not measure up to the love of Christ. 
There are times in our life, if we are honest with ourselves, perhaps there's some who have never doubted, who have never struggled. Lord, am I part of the family of God? I look at my life and I look at my struggles and I wonder, am I part of the family of God? I think John is assuming here that there will be times that we struggle with doubt. That there will be times when we feel as though we should be condemned. Because we know the sin that still remains in our hearts. For whenever our heart condemns us, not if our heart condemns us, but when our heart condemns us, listen to this. The verse doesn't stop here. Follow along. God is greater than our hearts. In other words, your resting place is not in your ability to love. Because if you trusted in your ability to love, you would be done. And you would stand condemned. But he goes on to say this, that when our hearts condemns us, what silences the accuser. Remember who the accuser is. The evil one. The devil is the accuser. He will accuse you day and night and tell you that you are not worthy of the love of Jesus Christ. The devil will accuse you. That's his job. That's not the work of the Spirit. The work of the Spirit is to comfort and convict and to lead you to Christ. The work of the evil one is to accuse you. And here John is saying what silences the accuser is us knowing that God is greater than our hearts and he knows everything. He knows you to the depths. He knows your struggles to the depths. And he loves you to the heights. God is greater than our hearts. And he knows everything. Beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence before God. Because perfect love, he goes on to say, cast out fear. So conviction is a good thing. But when our heart condemns us. Know that God is greater than our hearts and God is love. In his perfect love, the Bible says, cast out fear. He goes on to say that in John chapter 4. And so when your hearts condemn you, this love is our confidence. Not just your confidence in your ability to love, but your confidence in that you are loved by God in Jesus Christ. Perhaps you remember the story in the Pilgrim's Progress where, maybe the shorter version of it, where a Christian finds himself trapped in Doubting Castle. And there's no way out, and what stands guarding him is not only that he's locked into Doubting Castle, but the giant of despair is guarding that castle. And then Christian figures out that there is a way out of despair. There's a way around the giant of despair. And he feels in his pocket and finds the key of promise that unlocks the door to the prison of doubt and leads him out past the giant of despair. And so it is with us that we are, we silence the accuser and we flee doubting castle and we we pass the giant of despair because we have the promise of the love of God in Christ Jesus. So this love is our confidence. God's love silences the accusations of the evil one and proclaims that we are his.
And you'll know this by the way you love one another. And you'll see that evidence in your life of the love of God, not the earning of that love. You'll see the evidence of that love by the way that you love one another. So this love is our confidence. And this love is our God. 1 John 4, 7 and 8. Go ahead and take a look. As we, John continues this case, we're going to make one more point from this. He says, Beloved, this is 1 John 4, 7. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is from God. True love is from God. It comes from him. And whoever loves has been born of God. So here's that language again of what family are you from? Are you born of the evil one or born of the Spirit? Born of God or what family are you in? You know you have been loved and born of God by the way you love one another. Verse 8, anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. God is love. And understand what this means. This, this doesn't mean that he is love at the expense of his other attributes. God is holy. God is righteous. God is faithful. God is merciful. He's slow to anger. He's rich in love. He is gracious to us. But in this case, we don't want to mistake, make, make the mistake that, that love is divine in the sense that we worship love. God is love, but we need to make this point. Love does not equal God. You understand this. That, that, that we don't worship love. Here's what one writer says. He said, now, we have to understand what this statement means, that God is love. In light of the biblical concept of God and in light of the biblical concept of love, and it doesn't really mean, as the grammar here says, that God is love to the Hebrew. What that means is God is loving. I'm not trying to under, pull, that from under, pull that rug out from under you that God is somehow not love. But what he's saying here, he's saying that God is so loving, love is so identified with his character that we can say that God is love just as we can say he is truth and he is life himself. C.S. Lewis explains it like this when he discusses the idea of love being a part of who God is. He mentions that when most people throw around the phrase God is love, what they really mean is that love is God. But he says for Christians, God is love means that the living, dynamic activity of love has been going on in God forever and has created everything else. He goes on to say that this love works through us and we want to truly love as God does, we must draw close to him. And so again, what we're saying is God is love. We're not saying that we get to defy love and worship love. We worship God who is love. And oh, how he loves us. He knows us to the depths. And he loves us to the heights. And we love, you hear me pray this all the time, don't you? We love him because he first loved us. That's how we know what love is. He has made his love known because the Bible says here in 1 John 3 and 4 that he sent his son into the world so that we might live through him. Love consists of this Not that we loved, but that God loved us and sent his son to atone for our sins. And this is what gives us confidence to love as Christ. Oh, how you're loved. Through Christ. Though we were dead to sin. Through Christ, now you're spiritually alive. Know how much you are loved. Through Christ, you are forgiven. 
Only through Christ that you are declared righteous. Through Christ, you are a child of God. You are loved by God in Christ Jesus. And now that you are God's possession, you are blessed with all the spiritual blessings in the heavenly places. You are a citizen of heaven. You are free from the law. You are crucified with him, the Bible says. An heir of God, declared blameless and innocent, a light to the world, victorious over Satan, cleansed from your sin, set free from the power of sin, secure in him, at peace with God, loved by God You are loved in Christ. And if he's loved us in this way, brothers and sisters, we ought to love one another. And so the charge is clear. With open ears, with open eyes and open hands, we look around us and we look to one another and say, how can we love one another? And in doing so, the world will know that we are of God and the world will see God and by God's grace, they will move from children of darkness to children of light. We have to realize, as C.S. Lewis said, that there are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Every person you come in contact with, whether here at Harvest Fest or wherever you are, nations, cultures, art, civilizations, these are mortal And their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. He says we must play, but our merry must be of the kind where we realize that every person that we come in contact with is either destined for eternal life or eternal death that we are all mortals. And with that in mind, knowing that there are no ordinary people, we must love one another because by this, the world will know that we are his disciples and the world will believe that God sent his son, Jesus Christ, the only hope of the world. Let's pray.